You're listening to the Ask Drone You podcast. You ask, we answer your drone questions. Whether you're here to turn your passion into profit or you simply fly for fun, we're a community of learners and teachers who aspire to achieve greatness. We are Drone You. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Ask Drone You. I've got a very special guest with me today. He's been on the show before as we have talked about Watts Innovations a few times in print and on the show, as they are one of the very few American or domestic manufacturers who have been able to actually launch a product and scale that product to their clients. In a wave of hearing about drone launches and new models all the time, very few continue to actually deliver. But Watts Innovations is delivering, and they're delivering in sectors that might fundamentally change the industry as a whole. Bobby, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you doing? And Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Paul. Man, I mean, what an intro. Um, thank you. Thank you for the kind words. It's nice to be here. You're very welcome. I, uh, I will never forget meeting you at a drone show like three plus years ago. Oh, and, yeah. And, you know, hearing about your small operation. And now <laughs> you're in like a big office out in Maryland, right? You've upgraded. Yeah, it's so funny. I, I went back and watched like our first interview and it wasn't that long ago. It was like September of 2020 and like two, I was still at home, like in the basement. And two weeks later, we had moved to our office and then now we're moving again because we, we're out of space and like stepping on top of each other. So it's crazy, man. It, it's just crazy. <laughs> Wild times. Yeah. I mean, so I guess it's easy then to assume that the prism has really uh, taken off, as they say. <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah, it's it's doing well. It's doing really well. I mean, we we built the thing to be like a platform, if you will. I mean, you look at look at like a Raspberry Pi device. Like, how many things can you do with that? We're just trying to make it just like a kind of a of a use case agnostic platform on which our customers can do many different applications with, and. It's, it's really taking off and we're seeing a lot of our customers have great success with it. And like the best measurement of success for us is like a customer buys one and then they use it for a little bit and they're like, oh, this is really good. And then they buy another and then they buy a third or a tenth or a, whatever it is. So it's it's really exciting. And it's it just makes me like super proud that my, you know, just a few of us engineers, like not many of us were able to develop such like a competitive product that now like we're still scaling the company based off of something that we built basically in quarantine in, you know, designed in the living room, if you will. So it's, it's, uh, it's really exciting. Well, and I know to talk about this platform of prism, I mean, it's so modular going back to what we talked about last time that your mm -hmm. arms are literally detachable so that you can add new arms that essentially mm -hmm. turn a quad into a coax X eight. I mean, that is truly modular. But my question is, and, and I know we didn't talk about this in pre-show, but it, I think it begs the question. You uh, mentioned Raspberry Pi, right? And we use mm -hmm. a Raspberry Pi to build our office space race course. It's a race course <laughs> through the office and it just turns sure. on the lights and plays Thunderstruck, you know, like that's what we use nice. a Raspberry Pi for. But that's that said, awesome. when you when you talk about your platform with Prism, is this also getting kind of to the point where your platform could even be doing things like you know, mapping and then kind of onboard processing. Is that kind of also a part of this platform aspect? It, it really is. It really is. And the more kind of computer, um, I hate to use the word AI, but I, I guess more kind of AI comp compute intense 
uh, applications we see heading into our, our new variant of PRISM, which we call PRISM Sky, which will be um, launching later this year. Um, to where in our partnership with uh, Alterian as basically a, a software company, we're able to run a lot more compute and software intense um, processes on board. So I see that as a big step. Like that's where things are heading, where instead of the drone pilot, instead of the pilot having to scan the tower himself or, you know, it, maybe plot out the exact survey himself, it's more the drone's kind of figuring it out on its own and all that AI is happening in real time on the platform. So that's where we see it heading for sure. But yeah, I mean, it's a flying computer at the end of the day. Like at the end of the day, it's a flying computer. So it's our job to just make it just a really reliable platform so our customers can do whatever they want with it. Well, I think that brings up an important point because again, one of the areas that I believe that you have shined is this software development. You know, a lot of these newer drone manufacturers, they struggle in the user interface, how the software works with tablets, the remote. And I really feel like you guys have gone above and beyond in creating a proprietary software and user interface with this bird that the only even drone that comes close is is really almost DJI, which is a huge, huge uh, thing. I mean, we are comparing the world's largest manufacturer to Watts Innovations, you know, what I mean? <laughs> you know. Oh, it cracks me up. Oh, it cracks me. Up. No, you're you're too kind. You're too kind. But we, I mean, we can't take credit for that. So with with Prism, what we sell today, it's all based of uh, RG Pilot, which is an amazing open source um, software, basically that runs on our autopilot with contributors around the world and an incredible community who, who who contributes to it. And so that's what we sell with Prism now. And we've taken a, a well-known, amazing program called QGron Control or QGC. And we just kind of put our stamp on it and added some menus there and hid some things and uh, put a lot of our propulsion ID information in, in the software so that users could see it. So we did some heavy modifications to it, but we didn't recreate it by any means. We just tried to get rid of the stuff that the user didn't want. Yeah, but that's um, actually a so huge deal. That's a that's a huge deal because I mean, we're working it, with other drone manufacturers and they have problems where a user <laughs> goes in and they change the, you know the type of drone from a hex to a quad and even hiding yeah. some of these menus is is quintessential to success. And it's hard, like it's hard. And so I mean, I have the background of being an engineer, but before that, I was a pilot for many years. I mean, approaching like twenty years now that I've been flying these things. So. We just have the background and trying to train people on systems. It's like I have the background, I have the luxury of kind of having the engineer plus the pilot hat. And so I can just tell, but like, oh, like this would, this menu, for example, should not be open to the public. Like this is only like an engineering menu. So then all we do is we put that in the advanced mode and then we just get rid of it. So we just have a saying. So like in basic menu, a user should not be able to break the aircraft. Like they should not be able to change something that could cause the aircraft to like tip over. And it sounds silly, but in in a lot of these softwares, the basic menus, you can really get yourself into trouble. So that's where we started with, with Prism. And then where we see our, our new variant of Prism, which we call Prism Sky coming is in our partnership with Alterian. It's really taking that software to the next level. So 
we've seen what our capabilities are in-house, but with them and a, and a large team of, I don't know now, like 50 to 100 people, like they have a very large team and incredible engineers. We're kind of piggybacking off of their engineering talents to where now we get to focus on our dedicated software instead of spending weeks on building a backend software update over Wi-Fi. Like, right. So like instead of spending the time on like, how's the drone going to update itself and how are we just going to solve these little tiny bugs? Like we're able to do, we're able to really just cater to exactly what our drone has to do and then we leverage the power that Alterian has for so many things I, I don't even know where to start but but th that's really exciting like that that part's really exciting for me. well you bring up an important point and I don't want to really go too deep because it's kind of a shameless plug but you mentioned <laughs> how you're able to focus on the engineering and the bird and I mean mm -hmm. this is why at drone U we built our props program to help people scale their yeah. individual training programs make it sequential easily manageable for teams and whatnot because we see this common error b between all kinds of manufacturers in the this uh, lack of really high quality training that also makes it easier. So, I mean, that's kind of why we, we built props is to solve the problems to allow companies like yours to be able to focus on what you do best. But that brings up an important point. I know you heard the news show that I did mm -hmm. with Miriam uh, regarding, it was like the rollout of the very first uh, cellularly connected drone. And I said, well, hold on a minute. I thought Prism Sky came out earlier this year and that is cellularly controlled. And I'm like, well, wasn't Watts Innovations the first to do that? No, no, I, I think that I think there's been I mean, you can make the argument there's many companies who've been doing this for for some time and there's many companies making LTE and 5G modules that plug into drones. Um, I, I think I don't know the exact model you were referring to there, but perhaps it's like the first kind of commercial plug and play use case for it. That that would be my guess. But we are starting to see this. This is really happening. You know, we we see companies flirting and and getting the you know flirting with and getting the waivers for bv loss operation or extended flight um and and we're seeing a lot of companies starting to approach this as a fleet-wide rollout rather than the onesie twosies so in the five years or six years almost six years now in the, in the five years that we've been around as watts innovations it's always been okay we'll get one or two we'll get one to test and then we'll see how it's going but it's interesting because now like things are scaling and, and that's we see that nationwide. Um, I can't comment on the world much because all of our focus is here in the U.S. But, you know, nationwide, we see this to where many industries, many, many corporations, uh, power companies, surveying companies, uh, delivery companies, uh, whatever, you know, inspection companies doing inspections for those types of clients. Like we see it scaling in mass at scale. So I think it's really important. Like, so for what we do is we treat, we look at how we're going to build a product that scales. And I think it's so important, as you mentioned, to have your training set up so that that way, when the customer gets it and they're scaling now from having maybe two or three drones to now having 20 drones and 10 pilots, that's a different animal to solve. So I, I, I think that's, it, it's just great. I think you guys are approaching it the right way. Well, well, thank you very much. That's why we call it props, right? Professional, reliable operators practicing safety. It, it mm. actually means something. But that that's said, cool. I'm, I'm curious, and these two questions are related, which is why I'm asking them at the same time. But you mentioned BBLOS. You mentioned the importance of cellular to have those extended operations. So let me ask you this. How important is cellular for BBLOS operations? And then 
how is BVLOS essentially going to be or not be the linchpin of more advanced drone operations? And then from there, so don't answer this, but from there, we'll move uh, into where you believe the growth in the in the industry will be. Because I agree with you that people have gotten their footholds in with drones. They know how to use them to augment their business. And it's all about scale now, which is literally why we built props. But that said, how important is cellular to BVLOS and how important is BVLOS to further industry growth? Man, that is the question of the year. I think if you look back, <clears throat> I think that's an amazing question. And you're looking at it from the right framework, because I think if you look back at just the fact of us even asking this question, if we fast forward five years and drones are flying all over the place at scale, all, basically nationwide, it can't happen without you even asking that question. Like, how do we even get here? Because if if you're a drone pilot now, like let's say you have I don't know, a Mavic 3, right? And, and you're doing surveying or, or whatever it is. Or I, I don't know, I'm, I'm just trying to think. Let's say you have a Skydio, wh whatever you're flying. If you have a, a DJI M600 flying a LiDAR system, right? Like think of your controller that you have and everything you have is built point to point, right? So you have your ground side and then you have your air side. And every vehicle that most people have flown drone-wise is just point to point. So now what you're looking at with with scale and with with scale in numbers and then also with distance as well is you need to look at it as how can you kind of have the drone just be one node on the network. Right. So if, if you walk into our shop here, we have Wi-Fi. And so, you know, when you walk in, you come in with your your iPhone and your your Galaxy tablet and your PC and your Mac and everything just kind of connects. And it's just another node on the network. And so I think that that's the technology framework that we look at when we're implementing new tech out there into the fleet where it's like, okay, what's the best tool for the job? Because it's not necessarily 4G or 5G or a mesh-based radio or something like that. It's basically like, how can an organization more or less talk to these multiple aircraft at one time? And then once you figure out your overall framework on how you plan on controlling these, and more importantly for the FAA, how can you maintain control and the pilot can still you know, take control when, whenever something's going badly, you know, basically whatever tech will allow you to do that, that's the avenue that we should be pursuing. So in the last week alone, you know, just in the last week, I've had conversations with multiple companies and it's all either from what I can see now, it's all either over 4G LTE or, or over 5G or over a mesh based radio system over a, another frequency. So it's more or less kind of DIY carrier, if you will. So like you're not relying on a central carrier, you're kind of building that out yourself. So it's, um, it's fascinating. It's, it's really fascinating to see, but you, it's the right framework to be looking at it for sure. So how do you think BVLOS could expand operations that drones really aren't being used for? I mean, where could we see the most uh, relevant benefits of this technology other than the obvious um, of drone delivery, right? Yeah, I think from what we've seen, no other numbers come close to drone delivery and infrastructure inspections. Those are the two. Like, that's it. And in terms of like share scale, share scale, and you look at what numbers are necessary to do various applications, it's either delivering goods or something, but I don't know, one pound to 20 pounds of something from point A to point B. And that's one. And then the other is just like asset inspections. So power lines, cell phone towers. You know, these are all the applications now that if you make a living flying drones, 
then this is what you're looking at most of the day, right? It's either power lines, cell phone towers, um, you know, infrastructure, bridges and such. So I think that as it rolls out, what we're seeing happen more is that the pilots doing less and less, the autonomy is doing more, and the number of drones is increasing as well because what these companies are finding is like, hey, when we roll out a drone, we pay that machine off in like three weeks, if that, like we're saving so much time, so much money, so much manpower, we're paying that drone off instantly. And then next thing you know, they're starting to build out their fleet and they're getting a lot more done. So I think BVLOS is essential to that really taking that next step towards scale. Well, and you bring up an important point because you, you talk about Prism and it's a platform and the platform for computational analysis and the ability to make decisions on the fly unilaterally as mm -hmm. the aircraft or from the pilot over the network. How far yeah. away are we from a world of having a drone like Prism be a true platform, not just uh, from uh, you know inspecting bridges and whatnot, but to cleaning windows, taking on um, you know having drones as a platform where they're connected and they're uh, you know cutting tree branches and mm -hmm. you know doing all these ancillary little dirty jobs which save companies money and liability too when someone doesn't fall off the side of a high rise or fall off of a ladder. You know, because again, I don't think these drones are actually replacing those people. They're actually augmenting what they're doing to do it faster and better, which is kind of the beauty of the technology. But how far away are we from a true drone platform that can clean my windows, inspect uh, <laughs> the parking garage after a crazy storm, or determine uh, how soon we need snow removal from the roads on our industrial complex. It's hard to predict which exact use cases are going to take off. Um, years ago, before I even started Watts Innovations, I thought the idea of like a flying TV was going to be the next best thing. So we were like streaming live TV up to a drone. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever, but there was no use case for it. There's no market for it. I think we're still, I think we were 10 years too early. So give that another four years. And I think you'll see that happening more. But anyway, so it's hard, it's hard to predict the use case. It's hard to predict the use case. But what I can see is that from what drones are very good at today, it's mapping, surveying, um, sampling. So like air sampling, water sampling, that's really great. Um, delivery, as, as I mentioned, just or cargo hauling. Um, We've got other customers utilizing our aircraft for like replanting um, forests after a wildfire or something like that's awesome. That's a really great use case that we would love to be a part of. So I think there's so many great use cases um, in terms of like washing windows and and, uh, you know, I've seen like some drones acting like uh, able to put out fires in you know high rise buildings or something. That's great. So the more the merrier. I, I just like seeing drones doing, you know, we particularly like to focus on aircraft that are providing just like good, drones for good, right? Like not for nefarious use, just like actually providing, you know, good to this world. And the greatest thing that we've seen too is I would say at least three quarters of our customers since the time we started working with them, they are hiring even more pilots and more techs and more everything, more office staff. And so, the whole industry itself is just full of growth and there's so much opportunity that if you're looking to find a drone a, a drone job right now, there's more opportunity now than there ever has been. Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I guess the big question then is what is really holding us up 
from having these more advanced operations serve society uh, as a whole. Because you think of drone delivery, and you know, I have been saying for a couple of years now that drone delivery could be the next evolution of the industrial revolution, right? If you make buying products more convenient and easy and they can get there faster, then the economy grows at scale, you know? And I feel like drones are doing that. So what's holding it all back? I think the tech is almost there. It's almost there. Um, there, there is, I mean, there's an incredible amount of safety precautions that have to be taken into account, especially with deliveries. And I agree with your assessment. I, I think it's actually going to be happening in the next 24 months, uh, more so than I ever did before. But I, I think that there's a lot of safety concerns. So we have to tread cautiously there, right? Like we don't want these. And it, it, just the way physics works, like if you're going to deliver a package of, of any size or mass, it has to be a rather larger drone. So number one, safety. But I, I believe the tech is just about there. I believe that getting out of part 107 and into a BV loss kind of mesh environment, um, you, you know, multiple drones out there, uh, not just one operator for one drone. So one operator being able to operate safely multiple drones. I think that that's a huge step. Um, I think in terms of the public opinion, I, I think it's in a, in a pretty decent space right now. I think it's okay. Uh, some of our customers are involved in drone delivery and we've been able to see the customers and, and, you know, on, on video and such, and they seem really happy. Like when a drone's delivering, you know, a popcorn or something like that for movie night and, you know, like the little kid like goes and fetches the package, like they're really excited. So, um, I think in terms of public acceptance, it's there. So I think it's just going to be time and, and as well as like, you know, companies out there who can really level this up and make it happen at scale. So I, I think it's inevitable. It's inevitable. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. And again, in, in our predictions a couple of years ago, we were talking about Amazon and how mm -hmm. they were getting into drone delivery. And since then, Prime Air has kind of fallen uh, off a cliff. But we also talked about how companies like Walmart are very well situated to yeah. add essentially hubs over their stores and distribution centers. And then also utilize drone delivery almost as a third-party service to even other local businesses and whatnot. And I know that you have essentially been selected thanks to Drone Up to provide hmm. those drones in drone delivery. So first of all, huge, huge congrats, man. That's awesome. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It, it's exciting. It's really exciting. The, the Drone Up team has been absolutely amazing. Um, they, they've been they've been so great to work with. But, you know, you look at what, what Drone Up's trying to do, and it's a it it's a massive it's exciting. It's this is really exciting. It's a massive scale. And, you know, working with with a company, like you said, like with Walmart, you know, you look at their footprint and their spread across the US and it's going to be hard. I think it's going to be very hard to compete with them because of just how close in proximity they are to the end customer. Where if you look at someone like an Amazon, for example, I believe like most of the Amazon hubs are near an airport in an industrial setting, like on purpose, right? Like to be closer to where the goods are coming from. But I'm not sure how well that solves being close to the end customer. So I think for that reason, I think Walmart has an excellent chance at it. And, and the team at Drone Up has just been, they're amazing. There's some very bright people there. And it's just like an absolute honor to be working with them. So uh, th that's been probably the most technically kind of challenging 
project we've ever had the privilege of working on. So it's just super exciting. So you mentioned that when it comes to drone delivery and the rollout of that and in other advanced operations that would utilize this platform or BVLOS, you mentioned mm-hmm. the tech is almost there. It's almost alluding to, uh, and well, I mean, you kind of said it in moving past 107, that mm-hmm. maybe the regulations aren't there to allow for this. And so two questions. Number one, is the FAA holding us up in getting these more advanced operations, number one? And number two, currently under 107 as a pilot, you would Mm -hmm. have to get a waiver for BVLOS and then you would have to get a waiver for Swarm or more than one drone, right? Are you saying, uh, and again, don't forget, you know, is the FAA holding us up? But uh, the second part of that is, are you also alluding to the fact that maybe we need to move into a um, a stair stepper or a system of levels for pilot certifications beyond 107? Do you think that that is kind of the way to go? And, and why and is the FAA holding us up? I don't believe the FAA is holding us up as much as maybe someone like to claim. Um, I've actually been a really big fan of Part 107, because if you look at what 107 allows you to do, I mean, imagine life before Part 107. Like, I remember multiple situations where we would go on movie sets and literally be unsure if we were allowed to fly that day, because it's not like we were breaking the law. Like, there was no law to break. Uh, we, we were just doing, you know, operating as there were no safety precautions to follow because like, it's not like we were breaking them because there were none to follow. So we were doing the best we could and being as responsible as possible, but there were no guidelines. So I think with 107, it's actually quite freeing for the pilot. Like you can do a, I mean, think of everything that drones have been able to accomplish thus far as part 107. And, and I commend the FAA. Like, I think they've done an incredible job with starting from nothing and, and coming up with something that's not very restrictive um, in terms of what drones can do. So from what we've been able to gather is I think all the FAA cares about is whatever goes beyond, well, even in Part 107 and beyond Part 107, I think they just care if you, you can operate your aircraft safely and you can demonstrate that. And you've thought of various redundancies and backup plans. And I think that that's the right framework to be looking at how to solve this problem. So, you know, going back to the radio link, right? So what happens if you're flying over LTE and then you drop service? Like what happens then? Or if you have another radio on board and that goes out, do you have LTE failover? So I think when you begin to look at it, it's just basically how can you operate it safely? I do believe that if you can make your your case to the FAA that, well, remember, I don't, we don't do this stuff. We, we just do engineering all day, every day that our end customers doing the flying and service. They're the ones who really get into the nitty gritty on this. But just commenting from what we've seen, I, I believe that like if you can make your case and, and you've you've built your system and your platform in such a way that it is indeed safe and you've thought of these various failure scenarios and, and ways to mitigate them, then I believe that we will tiptoe our way, as you alluded to, to BV loss. So maybe it's part 107, but, um, you know, one operator with multiple drones. So the same thing they'll do for um, like the light shows. Right. So so they'll get that kind of waiver or it'll be something where it's like, OK, so you have your night waiver. Um, I, I think that what it'll go from is like one operator, multiple, um, probably being able to fly over people safely with a larger drone that will probably creep into there. And then as well as like a full blown BV loss at some point. Uh, but I think it's going to to be those those first few steps. But still within 107, you can do so much. 
Well, yeah, I mean, we even talked about how you can do drone delivery under 107. And the key part of that was, you know, line of sight, but also that you're holding to the operation. I, I can't remember the specific legal language, but essentially that as the drone delivery company, you own the area that you're taking off from and delivering to. So people like golf courses can do drone delivery under 107. But do mm-hmm. you think that maybe the FAA should investigate having multiple levels of licensure rather than waivers? And do you think that the FAA should implement some sort of practical flight uh, exam or test that would allow for the a more um, sure way to ensure the safety of an operation? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, because at the end of the day, they don't really double check with you. I, I, I'm just, I'm just thinking from when we got our like night waiver, right? It's like that. It's not like they're following up with you to see if you have the strobe light on at 10 p.m. when you're flying. So I don't think that's a bad idea. Um, I think that what you're going to see is like you know the larger companies of the world kind of paving the way with just their scale and their ability. And so that, that'll be, I don't have much opinion on that to be honest, but it'll be interesting to see where that goes. But it wouldn't make sense to me that if a company has demonstrated that, you know, this is any company, right? So we've worked with multiple um, utility companies where they're actively getting these BV loss waivers with a small aircraft of some sort to go inspect, I don't know, 10 miles of power lines through the middle of nowhere at a time. And sure, like they should be able to have that license to rapidly deploy in that manner instead of having to get individual COAs. So I'm all for that. If you can demonstrate that you can fly safely, I'm all for that. Well, and I think you just kind of hit the point uh, or you hit the nail on the head with that point is that how do you really scale the scaling of the team, right? When the FAA is asking for all these waivers and everything, and then you got to do it all over again for the new pilots, it really does make you wonder how can the FAA you know, create scalability with these operations by simplifying the process as a whole. Um, But that brings up our last question uh, to kind of wrap up, which is, you know, I know you've talked about the industry is heading to uh, fleets of drones. Um, Where, you know, elaborate on that. Where do you see the industry heading? What and where are these fleets of drones operating? Like what sectors, what industry verticals? Where do you see it all happening? So the biggest use cases, as I've mentioned, in terms of numbers, from what we've seen just from our customers and just hearing about the industry in general, I would say it's just any any sort of like a cargo delivery would be one. Any sort of infrastructure uh, or utilities inspection would probably be two. And number three would be engineering, surveying, mapping, that kind of a thing. So I would say I would give those my top three for sure. Um, And as I mentioned in terms of that scaling, the drone is doing more and the pilots are doing less. So, you know, the wiggling of the sticks is going away. It's very much going away. I can see it. Like we see the writing on the wall. Um, I don't believe that, you know, like a, a professional in, in terms of like the wiggling of the sticks and making a living forever that uh, the best pilots, I believe, to be honest, would probably stay at cinema because that's still very artistic and you need the human touch. And that's very still, uh, um, you know, the same as having a, a talented steady cam operator on a movie set. Like it's not a robot moving, it's still a human being. So I still see that holding up in cinematography, but in terms of all those other use cases I mentioned, it's becoming more click point 
slide to confirm rather than the actual twisting of the sticks. But I do see that the operator now has to have more of a knowledge for how the overall system works. So like how the aircraft works as well as the flight planning software and everything. So I think it's becoming less RC sticks and more just overall operational knowledge. And, and that's where we're seeing it from like the pilot side. So you, you hit a really important point again uh, in that, you know, it's less of the pilots hitting the sticks. Well, isn't then the FAA holding us back? Because under Part 107, it specifically states that a pilot must be on the sticks or be able to avoid an emergency at any and all times during the flight by having control of it, you know? And this- well, yeah, but I, I don't know the exact language. I can't comment on the exact language. I haven't, I haven't read that in some time, but... Basically, I would argue that um, I would argue that what we've been able to see with pilots is that we've seen more. So, okay, so the coolest part of our aircraft, because it's built around uh, either ArduPilot or PX4 or like Pixhawk based autopilots, is that every single second of every flight is downloaded onto our autopilot. And we're able to see that either off an SD card or now on the cloud with uh, our SkyNode or Prism Sky. And from what we've been able to see is that customers in general, when there's something kind of screwy going on, they're not going to be able to help it. And it, like they would, they it would be, or they actually induce a crash. We've seen that many more times where if you, if, if the pilot didn't do anything at all, it would have been a better scenario and just let the drone fail safe or whatever and just land itself or, or something else. I, we could make the pretty strong argument that, and, and what we've seen is that the pilots can actually get in more trouble. So I would just say, as long as the pilot can can do uh, can take evasive evasive maneuvers. So even if that's click point, so if the drone's heading east or something, and it's like, oh, this is. I guess with the camera east west, but the pilot's heading east or something, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh no, now we've got uh, some evasive maneuver we have to do. Make the drone go west. He might not know the orientation or not be that great of a pilot. They don't say how good of a pilot you have to be to be part 107. So I would argue it's like, oh, no, on the software, he should just click go here. And then the autopilot will control the vehicle to bring it over there. And if it's a really bad scenario and he's over clear ground, you just disarm. Uh, maybe you have a parachute, so you come down softly. So, Or the drone fail safes and it lands itself. So I would argue that the drones are getting smart enough to where just a good overall understanding of the system and the safety features on board could, you know, a, a good operator could just really make a better informed decision rather than like a halfway good RC pilot behind the sticks. Mm. I guess I'd, I'd kind of say it that way. I feel like I, I'm waiting for you to invent the like 007 uh, avalanche protection bubble for a drone where if oh. it falls too fast out of the sky, whoop, right. bubble. Well, we, we looked at that in a previous company I was working with. We looked at that almost like an airbag. Yeah. Um, problem is it's heavy. It's very heavy. Oh, and- and uh, they looked at it. I'm sure some companies have the patents out there for it. And um, I think while I think that that is good, I think that I think parachutes are very exciting. So we're revisiting those um, this coming year. So that, that's, that's pretty exciting just to see it done right. So we're, we're looking at those because I think that um, we have seen some scenarios with a failure or, a cust- uh, you know, pilot doesn't do something right, especially with these guys doing LIDAR or mapping where they're flying at maybe 300 feet to where you know the drone knew it had a problem at 300 feet. Whatever it is, battery related, propeller related, motor, propulsion, any part on the drone has a problem at 300 feet. The drone knew it had a problem. So 
you could argue it could just cut power, deploy a parachute, and it's more than likely a safer landing than it trying to figure out that problem on the way down. So um, I think those are those are going to be. And I, I heard the land the the term too that we need to start trying to get into our vocabulary a para landing, not a crash. And I thought that was really smart. I think that was cool. I, I think that that it makes a lot of sense. Where it's like with this sheer numbers that are going to be coming out, you know, just, just look up the projected drone industry growth in the next few years. Like with these, this many drones coming out that what's the, some of the best ways we can do to avoid accidents. And number one is design. So that doesn't happen. But number two, if a accident does happen, like let's find other uh, routes for bringing the aircraft down safely. So I think that's uh, pretty going to be pretty cool to watch too. Well, again, it just sounds like it's so important that these drones are modular and that they have the ability to add these safety elements and these redundancies and augment other existing technologies that already are available. Like, you know, for example, is it possible to use something like Prism with Mm -hmm. like a drone in the box system where you have a phenomenal, reliable aircraft that is modular in that it can now communicate and work with other devices like a drone in the box, like a delivery hub. I mean, is that something mm-hmm. that Prism is doing? Yeah, we, we see that happening too. We've got a customer doing a drone in the box solution. And I I could foresee those, you know, imagine in um, just rural parts, if you see, you know, the high voltage power lines that are just trucking power across you know, hundreds of miles, right? I mean, how, what a great solution for a drone in a box. And you stage those every, what, every 10 miles or something, and you don't even need the operator there. And every day it can just open up the box, fly out autonomously, go and perform the same exact boring inspection every single day. It remotely, you know, over the, uh, uh, over the cloud basically updates all of its info and the operator never has to go and see it other than to service it. And like, that's a perfect example for where we see the tech happening, like scale, fleet, BV loss. Wow. So those kind of three have, have to happen. So yeah, we see the modularity as, as a big point. And then now where we're pushing with Prism Sky is that all of that data for the modular components is viewable from one central suite that the drone management supervisor, if you will, kind of like the head of the drone ops at that company has access in real time at their fingertips to all of the assets that are flying on that drone. And that's all being uploaded over uh, the cloud. So that's where we're pushing with Prism Sky. And like, that's kind of the, the the future that we see happening. So it's exciting, man. It's exciting times. I was going to say, it seems like the future is very bright for, uh, for your company as oh, we built you. a platform that's serving so many people. And now it's just scaling on its own. Yeah, we're 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 trying. We're trying. I mean, it, it's exciting. Like we've we've been adding team members left and right, and getting a lot of my buddies from the RC Heli days involved. Um, just announced, uh, just announcing some some wicked amazing engineers and pilots from back in the my old RC Heli days to where, you know, we we were doing this stuff. I don't know, ten years ago, and now it kind of creeping back in, but now we get to do it for a job. So it's really exciting. That's awesome. Hey, well, Bobby, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show today. Really do appreciate it and uh, excited for everything that you have going on in your future. (laughs) It sure does seem like a lot and uh, hopefully we can get out to you here soon and, uh, and go take flight together. Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's do it. I appreciate it. Thanks for your time, Paul. Really appreciate it. You have me. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you to you and love what you're doing for the industry, man. I think a lot of people should be really uh, hyper-focused on what you guys are doing 
because you are doing things that uh, major companies are struggling uh, to to do. So anyway, thank you. It's hard. Yeah, it's very hard. It's very very. It's all hard, but it's rewarding. So totally. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, thank you, Paul. Appreciate it, man. Thank you, Bobby. And thank you to everyone who chimed in and listened to this show. If you have a question, don't forget, askdroneyou.com. That's going to do it for us today, though. But thanks for listening to another edition of Ask Drone You. We believe that videos, images, words, and sounds have the absolute power to inform, inspire, and entertain. We reject indecision, confusion, and vanity for they work against the community. We are united under the virtues of safety and knowledge. We are a training community of learners and teachers who encourage and energize each other to achieve greatness. We are pilots, videographers, photographers, freelancers, business owners, enthusiasts, experts, and apprentices. We are creators. We are the Drone Youth.